Welcome back. Time for another episode of WVU Marketing Communications Today. Coming to you from the good folks at West Virginia University. It's the only show that sits squarely at the intersection of data-driven decision-making and modern marketing practices. And for some strange reason, our guest host today, she must have been, uh, she must be delirious uh, because she's all excited here today. Everybody else has got uh, long faces and she's dancing around here. How are you, Cindy Greenglass? Hi, Paul. I'm great. Well, that's good. Where are you hunkered down today here? I'm in my home office in downtown Chicago. Very fogged in. Can't see the John Hancock building. Oh, wow. But I'm thrilled because we got a rock star guest. That's today. what I heard today here. He, he, he was very modest on the phone here, but I hear this is a big one. I, as you know, I'm a data geek. And so a rock star to me would be somebody big data, big measurement, big tech. We've got it all big with um, John Lorenzini today. And I thought it was John Bon Jovi today. That's what I thought. Oh, I, I had it all wrong. I thought it was John Bon Jovi, the rock star here. Okay, all right. Well, he, he qualify. I think rock, paper, scissors, he'd hold his own. <laughs> John's a data nerd and has spent half his career in big tech. Also, he's been with media agencies before he joined Snapchat as their group manager for marketing science. He is like a total data scientist overseeing retail, restaurant travel. Very busy man these days in these uncertain times. Uh, before that, he was the marketing science manager at Facebook for CPG Global Accounts. There he managed the first global data science team at Facebook. I'm a little bit in awe here. He has worked with internal and external stakeholders and advised clients and industry on measuring strategy, as well as ongoing advocacy to adopt measurement as a way to improve business performance. Prior to Facebook, he was at Google. Um, so that's why you see me kind of dancing around. We've got a really exceptional guest today. John, I know I'm not overselling you. It would be great to have a conversation with you today and to hear your point of view on, we said, big data, big tech, big measurement, and how measuring media balances the art and science. I want to welcome in John. Thank you very much for having me on the show. Appreciate it. Yes, Mr. Modest, too. Ain't that wonderful? So, <laughs> uh, that, that is definitely one of the best introductions I've ever gotten, so thank you very much. Hopefully I can live up to the hype here. Well, you just go and tell everybody, including Mom, that you've been um, called John Bon Jovi today. <laughs> <laughs> there, there has been quite a few nicknames, and mostly music artists. John Lorenzini, Jay Zini, J Lo <laughs> happens quite frequently. So, for some reason, my name and artist seem to overlap quite a bit. Well, there you go. Well, thanks, John. I know those are busy times for everybody, and I would think especially for folks like yourself sitting at the intersection of technology and data as, you know, the world around us changes every day. And so I thought maybe we would just start off with, we gave the title of our session, Big Data, Big Tech, Big Measurement. So let's start by saying, what do you mean by big measurement and big data? Sure. Big measurement is a couple of different techniques that require scale. If you're running tests 
it requires large sample sizes. In order to test things at a national level, a global level, it really requires really robust practices. Now, big data, a colleague of mine coined this the best, is your grandmother is big data. She has seen more than anyone else in the family, and she knows what relationships work, what relationships don't work, and she's seen more than everyone else. So in a way, your grandmother is big data. And really comparing that to our current landscape in advertising is that all of these interactions are happening across all of these different places. So how do we put all that together and understand from the previous relationships that have happened, every consumer touch point that we can measure, and really what are those outcomes so we could optimize towards that? Wow, my grandmother would be thrilled to know she's so hip and tech. <laughs> we can call her big data grandma. I understand that from the context of she's seen a lot or seen a lot and therefore you have this vast amount of experience to draw on. But how has this evolved and how's the media industry adapting when yesterday and even you know, a year ago for sure, may not be the best predictor of trends moving forward. So what you measured before may not be predictive of tomorrow. Oh, absolutely. And, and that is something that was referred to at my time at Google as now casting. So the future is always uncertain. If I had a clear picture, I would be trading stocks and doing quite well. So there is a level of uncertainty that exists, and especially in times like today, the prediction of what could happen and what does happen sometimes misalign. And I think that when it comes to measurement, the idea is to paint a clear picture of what did you do and what has happened so that you can be more informed in your future decisions. A lot of the top companies that I've worked with as clients, they look at measurement as a way to say, have our calls in the past been uh, good ones, bad ones, or how can we contextualize them further so that our next decision is only smarter than our previous ones? So a way to think about this is when you're walking with your cell phone and you have your GPS out, you don't know what direction you're actually heading into until you start moving. So once you move, then you know if you're heading in the right or wrong direction. And measurement is kind of the way of leading that way. So measurement can help help you overcome inertia too then, right? You're saying until you start moving. So we have to, especially in these days of uncertainty, there is a, a sense that maybe, well, we should just stop doing things. And you're saying keep moving and measure as you go? Absolutely. I mean, don't stop doing the things that are working, but definitely try to test, optimize, and refine things that are working and stop doing things that are not working. Now, there's so many conditions that could change what works now versus what works later. Doing the same thing over and over and following that same formula is only going to create a sameness in marketing and advertising where you can't distinguish one brand from another. So there are more visionary brands that put themselves out there and try something new that hasn't been measured before because they believe that this is what they think is the right direction for the company. And I do believe that these business metrics and these things that can inform that decision, it's not being data-driven, it's about being data-informed. So then that way these next steps can be made much more clearly and much more defined of why. 
I love it. Data informed, not data driven. I love that. That's a good way to think of it and a good perspective to give us, John. Thank you. Can you share with us another concept I'd like you to help articulate? What are the major differences between top-down measurement and bottom-up measurement? I hear these terms often. Sure. Top-down is taking whatever outcome that you're measuring, let's say it's sales, and then trying to decompose that into the individual compartments and saying, this is what contributed to your sales. A classic approach for this is called market mix modeling. And really what it looks at is over the course of a year, several years, you know, month by month, how much sales do you normally get? And then how much extra sales did you get from marketing activities? Using that, you decompose it and say, well, I invested a couple million dollars in TV. I invested a couple million dollars in digital how did that impact my overall sales? And using that as a top-down approach, and this has been around since the probably the 80s or even before then, lately there's been a lot more interest in bottom-up measurement. And bottom-up measurement is, I don't know if you're familiar with multi-touch attribution models, it's kind of yes. a every, everything being tracked, which is if you see an ad on your phone, you watch a TV commercial, you walk by, you see a billboard. This is obviously a much more future state than right now. But as you come into contact with all these, do you do the behavior that an advertiser wants, which is probably a purchase? And using that information, we could say, okay, these are the ones that saw the ad. These are the ones that didn't see the ad. And this is the difference in buy rates between those groups. So that's more of a bottom-up model which has a lot of pros and cons between the two. And this is kind of where that art and science piece of the talk comes into place because a top-down is very helpful for traditional media, things that you're putting a lot of money behind. It's kind of like a sledgehammer approach. It's like, here's everything, throwing it out there. While your MTA and your bottom-up and these much more specific tests that you run are a lot more like a scalpel. And it's just carving out little pieces of your budget and small audiences and saying, hey, did this work for them? And merging those two concepts together is very different from business to business and advertiser to advertiser, which is why that blend is really where that art comes in. That for sure is an art. I know that my experience with especially B2B marketers is multi-channel attribution is really, really hard. First of all, most of us are really doing multiple channels individually and independently were not very good yet at truly integrated channel communications and we're still trying to argue over budget dollars right so we're getting well how did my channel perform so attribution to prove that my channel mix worked better than your channel mix is still going on in our silos and i've heard people refer to it instead of return on investment I've heard the term return on engagement used for multi-channel attribution. Is that something that you're looking at as part of the way to evaluate this bottom-up? Yes and no. When I think about engagement, I think about the longer-term activities, building brand equity, like making you love a brand like a Nike or an Apple or one of those brands. So if you're engaging with those brands and you have that aspirational emotional connection definitely that makes sense from an from a 
a return on engagement. Now, from a return on investment, that's much more of a, a lower funnel transactional did they buy kind of situation. Now, with the return on engagement, there is a little bit of a bias or a problem that we noticed with uh, a lot of the algorithms. If you're going after people who want to view your ad or want to engage with it, the algorithms will automatically put them in front of people who like to engage with ads. These are like likey people or clicky people or people that tend to just want to engage. So not necessarily purchasing your product. So if you're doing something that's a little bit more outcomes driven, like sales, then you would probably steer away from that return on engagement. But if you're looking to build a brand for a longer term and see 10 years, five years, even a couple of two years down the road, that lift in sales because they are now a luxury brand, return on engagement is definitely something that you can uh, look into for that. Great. So just on that for one more minute, if I can ask you. So let's look at some of our industries that are being affected today that you're actively involved in restaurants, hospitality. We're also seeing like large cultural institutions, museums, zoos, et cetera, close for business at the moment. Would you use a metric like return on engagement as we're communicating to say people who are continuing to engage actively, that's a good metric for us to look at until such time as we're back open for business? Yeah, I think there is definitely a need for people are at home now. They're being exposed to less messages and building brand equity in these tough times is really a great timing for all brands to engage in. Now, for restaurants, I'll have to dig back into my Google experience because I haven't started that Snapchat job yet. That starts on the 6th of April. So this is, this is still pre that. But when I was on the restaurants team at Google, definitely building that brand equity. And and one of my favorite examples and one of my favorite clients actually was uh, Olive Garden. And they have two different types of campaigns. One is the soup, salad, and breadsticks, $5. And that brings you into the store, creates a conversion, lifts your sales, really drives the bottom line purchase. Now, they also have ads that are the authentic Italian experience. And this is when you're here, your family. And those kind of messages raises the profile of Olive Garden. And you have to balance those limited time offers with those brand building activities. Now, since no one's going to Olive Garden right now because, well, they, they could get delivery or however they're working, but no one's going to restaurants directly, those purchase bottom of funnel activities are shortened. So heavying up in those authentic Italian experiences and when you're here, your family, this is definitely a key time to do that for restaurants engaging with the brand like you mentioned and heavying up in those kind of campaigns definitely makes sense because conversion is not possible right now right agreed all right i'm going to step back for one minute and i'm going to ask you if you would share briefly a little bit about how you ended up in the role you are and being what i'd say data science guru data science expert and and uh, a little bit about how you got there clearly Your knowledge is exceptional, and the companies you've been working with are all on the leading edge. Thank you. Many of us who are interested in data and are interested in measurement would be like, what was the path to success for you and to get you where you are? Yeah, well, I was public relations and economics in school. A little bit of math, but a lot of social engagement with people. PR was my primary major. 
And after graduating, I started working in print media at an agency. I was youngest on the totem pole, fresh out of college, and I was told that this is the way we do things, this is the way everything was done. Kind of didn't, that didn't sit well with me. Over time, I was like, how can I get more involved in data? So I started getting really good at Excel, which was something that I think should be taught more in school. It's not the, the sexiest of things, but I got good at Excel. Then I started becoming the data guy within the print department. And then I moved over to Google search and I realized it was much more complicated and there was a lot more numbers and there's an auction system and the dynamics of the auction is very economics driven. And using that, I wanted to understand all those numbers again so I can get a seat at the table. So really in a way, early in my career, data was a way to get me the seat at the table despite my age. What I tried to do was immerse myself and say, I've read everything, I've looked at every data source, I've QA'd everything, made sure that this is correct with what I'm saying so I can have the confidence to go toe to toe with someone way more senior than myself. And in a way, data was the way that enabled me to do that. And once I positioned it that way, it was more of what tools and techniques do I need to learn to be right more often than I'm wrong. And this is kind of how I gradually moved out of print into search, then all digital analytics, and just increased my scope of work to see how everything contextually fits together from traditional media to digital, search, social, all those, and putting them together because I think that the, the connective tissue or the middle orgs are really where things happen. Because if you have a bunch of disjointed organs that are not connected in the system, then you really don't have a person, do you? That's how I kind of view my career is always trying to get more information, but also using data to be able to drive that, that discussion and learn about how it actually works. Great, I loved that journey and thank you for sharing your journey with us. And data gives you a seat at the table. You're preaching to the choir, that's for sure. We're gonna take a very quick break and go back to Paul. But before we do, I wanna ask you to think about a question for when we come back. And that is, how has our recent legislation, big tech and government impacted measurement? What is it done, and what should we know? Paul, back to you. Okay, let's just take a quick reminder to uh, tell you that this program is being brought to you by West Virginia University's online data marketing communications program, the first graduate program of its kind in the country, focusing on strategic thinking, critical problem solving, and informed decision making. The data marketing communications program at WVU prepares you for your career by learning the innovative tactics from award-winning faculty and rock stars like our guests today here. Learn more at dmc.wvu.edu. And with that, we throw it back to our, they're, they're going to do a duo here, I think, uh, our dynamic duo. They're going to they're gonna sing later on in the show, folks, here. So, Cindy Greenglass. Oh, I've been told not to quit my day job. Singing would be a scary thing for me, for sure. All right, John, we're back before we took our quick break. I asked you to think about how has recent legislation, big tech, and changes with government today impacted measurement? What should we be thinking about? What's it going to mean for us? Yeah, I think the uh, Europe was the first one to come out with GDPR which is consumer privacy and talking about the right to forget if you delete something off your profile should it be deleted off their servers as well as cookies the security and the safety of everything following you around there's a lot of reports 
on security and how it relates to the individual. From a measurement standpoint, I'm conflicted. I'm on both sides of the fence here, both a consumer and an analyst. And I do think that there is good legislation. CC, the, the California one that just came out recently, is also pushing the envelope forward to protect consumers. I think there was also Apple at, at CES had a big ad about security and how it's important. And I think that this is really important concerns that are driving the legislation, which cuts down on the activities that we could do to measure individuals. And I think that that's healthy and good because the cookies could be misused. There's a lot of things that could be misused and not by, you know, the big companies that have something uh, to lose from being from playing inappropriately, but rather other guys or people that are exploiting existing things. The deprecation of the, the cookies was a big tech decision that was made recently. The security and privacy of the right to forget and everything is really helping our consumers maintain their sense of anonymity when needed. I do think that these kind of decisions are pushing budgets to places where consumers directly interact. An example of this is your large consumer packaged goods companies, your Procter & Gamble, like Tide. They would sell their products within Walmarts and Targets, retailers. Now, right. Tide doesn't know when Tide is sold in a store. They just know when Walmart needs more pallets of Tide, big cases shipped to them. So using that information, I foresee the future being a lot more executions done at the retailer level. So either these brands will have to go direct to consumer online, sell through Amazon, have their own online distribution network, or they're going to be selling through Target, and Target will be running a lot of their budgets, or Walmart will be running a lot of their budgets, because they have that view of the consumer, because if you have a loyalty card, if you have the app, if you're going to the website, if you're showing up in store, they have a lot more information and data than Tide would have. So this shift is actually pulling the information and the data further down the purchase cycle and much more towards those retailers. Doesn't that mean that the CPG or the manufacturer loses control? The more data and knowledge is in the hands of the retailer, the less they know about their own customer? Yes and no. I think there are ways through the traditional means. That's correct. They are losing a bit of control. But a lot of these brands, like you saw, the acquisition of Jet by Walmart being an example of brands working their way into direct-to-consumer and trying to get that view in there. So I do think that if you are not evolving to this new state of data, there will be a bit of difficulty in giving up control to the people who are selling your product and pricing your product for you. If you cannot do that yourself, either online, through a delivery service, through a negotiation with an online retailer, but again, it's that data sharing policy, because if you're sharing that information, your first party data to a third party, that legislation is becoming stricter and stricter. So if you are the person who's both producing and selling it, you're all first party data, which means you won't have those issues. So it could be sell a little bit as first party just to gain that information to be dangerous in business and then work with your partners and your third party retailers leveraging that information, or if you don't develop any sort of first-party data activities, you will be at the behest of whoever's selling for you. So just so our audience is familiar with the term, give us a quick 
definition of first-party data versus third-party data for those of people that may not be familiar with the terminology? First-party data is data that you collect directly. If you think about it, if you're going to a store and you type in your loyalty card for CVS, Rite Aid, Dwayne Reed, whatever local store, Wawa, you type in your phone number. Your phone number is your key, and that transaction is put against your phone number. So if you go to any Wawa anywhere, that is a single entity or a single party that is capturing the information of what did you buy, when did you buy it, how much of it did you buy, and connecting that to your profile, which is your phone number. Now, if you use your credit card, similar thing. That could also be a key. Now, that information can then be sold to a third party, and that third party is someone else. So if, let's say, Nielsen, Nielsen ratings, like for TV, they could buy up this information as a third party and then use that for measurement by matching those phone numbers against a publisher who, if you download an app and they have your phone number, they could say, okay, these are the phone numbers that were exposed to these ads. And then, okay, all of the Wawa's, did they buy or did they not buy? What are the match rates of each? And then using that third-party data, we could figure out if there is an incremental lift. And that kind of information, the third-party piece of Wawa sending it over to Nielsen or something along those lines, is really what's under much more scrutiny than Wawa collecting its own consumer's data. So that's the difference between first and third. That's great. Well, John, there's so much more we could talk about. The half an hour passed so quickly. We are so fortunate to have you on our show today. Great takeaways. Be more than data-driven. Be data-informed. I'm going to never think of my grandmother the same way again. Grandma's big data now. Uh, Data and analytics give you a seat at the table. And first-party data is where it's at. Appreciate the time you spent with us today. Be healthy, be safe, and thank you, John. Thank you so much. Appreciate the time. You've been listening to WVU Marketing Communications Today, brought to you live from West Virginia University, a weekly program that sits at the intersection of data-driven decision-making and marketing practice, only on the Funnel Radio Network, for at-work listeners like you. bi-weekly program that sits at the intersection of data-driven decision-making and marketing practice. Only on the Funnel Radio Network. For at-work listeners like you.